Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If your roof starts to leak or your floor's really squeak, you live in a money pit. Money pit. If your basement needs a pump or your place looks like a dump, you live in a money pit. Money pit. Pick up the telephone, fix up your home sweet home. I call an 888 money pit. Coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. We hope that you guys had a great holiday season and are focused now on the year ahead. If there's a project on your to-do list that you'd like to get done in the days and the weeks to follow here in 2024, we would like to help. Reach out to us with your questions. Two ways to do that. You can call us at one eight 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 money pit or you can post your questions to moneypit.com slash ask. Coming up on today's show, you know, few things define an upscale kitchen like a commercial range. They're beautiful, right? Heavy cast iron grates, the big beefy knobs, the big burners. Those types of ranges are more popular than ever. So we're going to share what you'd need to do to accommodate one of these fire-breathing beasts in your home. And if the new year has you just starting out in your first home or your first apartment, but you don't have the budget to spruce it up, We've got some tips for makeovers that require little to absolutely no cash. Hey, everybody can afford that, right? And do you guys enjoy sewing and scrapbooking, maybe woodworking? Well, we're going to have some tips on how you can set up a space for those hobbies and more in your home. But first, our focus is you this new year. We want to know what you want to know. So if there's a DIY project on your to-do list for 2024, let us help it make it a DI done project. So let us know what it is, what you are working on, what your big plans are. And let's help you formulate a way to tackle all of those DIY dreams in this new year. The number here is one eight 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 Money Pit. Or again, for the fastest possible response, just go to moneypit.com slash ask and click the blue microphone button. Let's get to it. Leslie, who's first? We got Karen in Tennessee on the line who's feeling the chill. What's going on? I have some really nice windows that get lots of sun and they let the heat in from the sun in the wintertime. And they are like the double window, I guess, like the, the type that's, uh, you know, supposed to keep out the, the cold, but it doesn't. Uh, so I need something to put over them that will allow the heat to come in, but keep the cold out. And I'm wondering if you have some kind of like film or something, you know, that I can put on there to do that. So, Karen, I think the fact that you have th- thermal pane windows, that's what you're describing. That's insulated glass is a good thing. Uh, it's nice to hear that they let some heat in during the day, but the reason that they're letting cold get in through that same glass in the in, in the in the evening is because there's probably not a low E window, so it doesn't have any reflectivity to it to keep the heat on the hot side, so to speak. So here's what I want you to do: I think you should have a thermal shade like a cellular shade. Cellular shades have an insulating ability. And what you're going to want to do is just make it a habit of keeping those open during the day and then keeping them down at night. Now, by the way, there are fairly inexpensive automation systems that can raise and lower these shades for you based on the time of day and where the sun is, in fact. 
So you could look into those as well. But I think having them up during the day, you'll be able to capture some of that heat. And then dropping them as soon as the sun goes down will help keep some of that warmth inside. Because what happens is when the air from your house uh, starts to circulate and hot air rises, but when it strikes that cold glasses, it gets really cold, it chills and it falls and kind of feels like a draft. Even though it may not exactly be a draft, it's uncomfortable. But when you put the cellular shade in between the window and you, then that doesn't happen as much and you'll be a lot more comfortable. All right, Ken's on the line. He's got a leak in a ceiling, and something is going on with that drywall. Listen, we've all been there. What's happening? What I had is a, a had a ceiling leak that caused the sheetrock and the of the ceiling to uh, separate. And I'm just wondering how I need to approach that project, and is it a do-it-yourself project that I should uh, that I should try myself? So, Ken, um, as long as the leak has been fixed, you certainly probably could repair this yourself. Now, you say the ceiling is separated. If the ceiling is swollen, in other words, if it's sort of sagging down from this leak and it's physically deformed, in that case, you have to cut out that bad section of drywall. But if it's just that the seam perhaps has started to separate, sometimes water gets under the seam and then the drywall tape will peel off. If that's the case, that's not such a big deal. You just pull off all that old loose stuff, whether it's spackle or tape, pull it all off, and then you're going to retape that from scratch. Basically, you're going to put in like two or three, two coats of very thin spackle with tape, maybe a third coat on top of that, sand it off. And then this is really important, by the way, you have to prime the entire area that leaked because if you don't prime it, any staining that's in that drywall will pull through to the finished coat of paint. And it's really annoying because you'll paint it, you'll stand back and say, oh, it looks great. A couple hours later, you'll see the stains start to leak through it. So you absolutely have to prime it. But I don't see why you can't do that yourself as long as you're comfortable, you know, working with spackle and and drywall tape and being on a ladder or sanding and breathing all that mess too because that often happens as a part of it but a dust mask on it makes it a lot more pleasant and you know make sure your neck you're gonna get a crick in your neck because when you're looking up painting a ceiling <laughs> i always feel like i'm like oh my neck <laughs> yeah you mean like uh, michelangelo right yeah, seriously <laughs> i think he had scaffolding <laughs> hey you want to make our day well go ahead and leave us a five-star review on apple Podcasts, and we'll be jumping for joy Plus, you guys, your feedback helps us make the show even better for you. Just go to moneypit.com slash review. Heading to Arkansas, we've got Nancy on the line who's working on a project. Let's just say there was some flooring maybe done by her husband that uh, needs some help now. (laughs) What's going on? (laughs) I have a question about a gap between our new wood floor that my husband put down and the front door threshold. There's a gap that needs to be filled. Hey, well, he did the hard part, Nancy, right? I mean, he finished the whole floor except for this little spot near the front door threshold. So a couple of ways you can deal with that. Now, uh, it depends on how big a gap this is. And if it's a fairly thin gap in that you can't really get uh, another piece of flooring in there, like let's say it's maybe less than a quarter of an inch, in that case, you're going to want to use a piece of molding on top of it to basically go between the front door threshold and the new section of the floor. However, preferably, if it's a little bit wider than that, I would cut a piece of flooring to fit that exact distance. Whatever the width is, I would cut a piece of flooring and drop it right in there. Even if it was only an inch wide, I would cut that flooring. I would pre-finish the floor, by the way, if the rest of it's already done. It'll make it a lot easier. And then tap it in. And in fact, 
I would probably make it a little snugger than maybe you think it needs to be. So it kind of holds itself in place. All you're going to need to attach this is maybe two or three pretty sturdy finish nails. And you would pilot out the holes before you drive the nails in. So like if it was a number eight or number 10 nail, you'd probably use like around a maybe three thirty seconds bit first. And that's way it won't split that thin piece of wood. You tack it in place. I'd probably put a little glue under it. And then you should be good to go. And after that, the only one that will ever notice that gap and the story behind it will be you. Everybody else is just going to step on it and walk right over it. It'll look great. <laughs> it's true. Sometimes we hyper-focus on the one thing we know that's wrong with the room, right? I mean, you and I do it just because it's like a habit. Yeah, well, because yeah, you exactly. see it, so you know. Did you know that Americans take 20,000 breaths a day and spend an average of 90% of their time indoors? That's right. And according to the EPA, the level of indoor air pollutants can be two to five times higher than outdoor air and occasionally more than 100 times higher. Plus, every spring we get socked with allergens, too. Well, Air Doctor is an air purifier that filters out dangerous contaminants like pollen, pet dander, dust mites and mold. Their Ultra HEPA filter has been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested allergens, including bacteria and viruses. That's impressive. Now, Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. And they're offering a special discount to Money Pit listeners. Just head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to podcast customers, you'll also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer in right now by going to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code MONEYPIT. All right, we've got Henry on the line who wants to talk about something going on in the garage. Why don't you tell us about it? Currently, I have a overhead natural gas heater. Uh, it's quite expensive to operate on a uh, regular basis. Um, my garage has approximately uh, 12 inches of uh, fiberglass insulation uh, overhead. The walls are insulated. I didn't know whether to... Uh, keep what I currently have, or would it be a, perhaps wise to go to a uh, electric heater that would provide sufficient heat? So I think you're going to find that the cost of operating the electric heater is going to be even more than operating the gas heater. How big is your garage? Approximately 800 square feet. Oh, it's a pretty big garage. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Almost so, uh, a three-car garage. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I've got a 20 by 30 garage myself, and what I did to heat that is I have one kerosene heater. Now, it's not just a kerosene heater. To explain, I put insulation in the ceiling like you did, and I put foam, uh, actually used, used uh, foam boards in between the floor joists, like the, the thermal insulation that's like foil face foam. I also closed off the opening to like the attic storage space above it so I wouldn't have all the heat rush up there. And then I improved the weather stripping around the doors and around the windows the same I would if I was doing something, uh, you know, for the regular part of the house. And I found that uh, this particular heater that I used, it was rated for that size space, and it did a really good job of, of, first of all, taking that cold edge off. And if I leave it running long enough, it warms the whole place up. So I found that to be and a more affordable way than, and actually a smaller, more convenient way to heat the garage. 
because I'm not heating it all the time. You know, I might go out there on a weekend and do some projects. So I just wanted something I could turn on and turn off. Uh, those big space heaters, the big gas-fired forced air space heaters that hang from the ceiling, there is nothing efficient about that. Nothing at all. They just, they use, some of those use as much, huge gas as the, as the heating system that heats your entire house. The only other alternative I would suggest would be kerosene. But if you try to go electric, those electric heaters are going to be just as expensive to operate. Okay, well, thank you very much for the suggestion. I'm certainly going to check it out. Well, few things define an upscale kitchen like a commercial range. With those heavy cast iron grates, the beefy knobs, and the high BTU burners, the pro-style range has become a focal point in our homes. Plus, a serious stove can boost your cooking powers, too. Not to mention your home's resale values. Could you imagine if these super stoves made you an amazing chef? I think that's automatically. I mean, you're paying enough for them, right? Doesn't that come with the package? (laughs) Comes with the magic powers. Well, here's something, though, you guys may not know. An actual commercial range is not designed for a residential kitchen. That's right. You can't buy a commercial range, the kind that would go into a restaurant, and put it in your kitchen. The main reason is they don't have the same level of insulation, and they can be very unsafe. So instead, many manufacturers offer a type of range simply called a pro-style range. Looks like a commercial range, but has some of those safety features that are really important. Yes, and it also comes with pro-style cooking skills, so you're still going to have those superpowers, you guys. Now, the pro-style ranges, they're scaled to fit that standard depth counter, and they've got beefed-up insulation, which are going to keep them safe in your home, and their biggest burners still blast out 18,000 to 25,000 BTUs versus a basic ranges burner, which is 12,000 BTUs. And most pro-style ranges come in standard widths from 30 to 60 inches, and the larger width means more burners or those other cooktop options such as griddles and grills and just more space, too, which is pretty, you know, kick butt, you guys. Yeah. Now, you're going to pay more for it, probably somewhere in the area of, like, say, around three to 4000 up to maybe $20,000 for a pro-style range depending on the size and the features and the models. And you can also expect, though, to get at least 20 years out of that appliance. But keep in mind that repairs can be expensive. But I guess if you're paying that kind of money for the range, you pretty much expect the repairs to be along those same lines. Well, let's talk about fuels. Now, pro-style burners are always gas, but they can also be paired with a gas or an electric oven. And the latter option is simply called dual fuel. Most importantly, let's talk ventilation. These ranges produce a lot of humidity, a lot of odor, a lot of carbon monoxide. And if a recipe goes wrong, a lot of smoke. So, a correctly sized vent hood that exhausts to the outside is a must. You're not going to get away with a recirculating fan here. It's got to go right outside, and it's got to be the right size. All right. Now, here's some other features that you can be looking for. We're talking about those high BTUs again. These signature features of any pro-style range truly is one or more burners that are capable of that super high heat. So when you want to sear, when you're sautéing, when you want super fast boiling – But don't get hung up on those numbers too much. For most home chefs, 18,000 BTUs is plenty hot, you guys. You also want to look for maybe a low simmer burner that can handle more of those delicate tasks like simmering an unattended pot of chili all day without bringing things to a boil or burning it. You know, different manufacturers use different technologies to achieve a steady, even heat. So be sure to test the simmer before you buy if you can. And closed burners, now the vast majority of ranges offer sealed burners, which means the entire range tops allow for no place for spills or grease to drip down into the stove itself. And as a result, those jets are positioned so that the gas flows out to the side, then up, slightly reducing efficiency, but making cleanup relatively painless. So definitely a must if you uh, might be a messy chef. Yeah, well, we want a pro-style commercial range, but we don't want to 
commercials range that has to be cleaned, like a commercial range, right? Right. So <laughs> kind of want the best of both worlds. Now, listen, finally, again, be prepared for the heat. There's a lot of it. That cook space gets really toasty when you're blasting up to six burners plus a griddle or a grill, sometimes all at once. You also need to buy heavy bottom pans that are several inches larger than the burner so the heat doesn't just bypass them and go around them. And keep in mind, too, that with those cast iron grates that are part of these ranges, those get really hot. They radiate a ton of heat, and they take a long time to cool off. They could take like an hour or so. So you got to be careful. You know, having a pro-style range is a great thing to have. It's probably also going to impact your air conditioning system. I don't think you can be comfortable in front of that thing, Leslie, and cook at the same time with all of those burners blasting you. But listen, if that's what you're into, go for it. All right, we've got Jason on the line who's dealing with a potentially a major structural issue going on at their newly purchased home. What's going on? I bought my house four years ago, and we kind of overlooked some problems because we had been looking for so long. But basically, I have the beam that holds up the main part of my house is, like, rounded the whole length of my house. Like, there's a hump in my floor from end to end. It's the floor sags on both sides of the main beam. And I think part of the problem is the actual upper parts, the walls and stuff, don't actually go over the beam. They go on either side. Is it even worth trying to fix or should I get out of the house? I mean, this is definitely something because you kind of rushed the whole process. I mean, had you had a home inspection, this definitely would have been seen, right, Tom? I think so, for sure, based on the, the, the amount of sag that you're reporting. I don't think the fact that the uh, the interior bearing walls, which is what it sounds like you're talking about, are offset from the from the beam is the cause of this. I mean, that's actually not an uncommon thing to do. Within reason, they could be offset a little bit and still provide plenty of support. But the fact that this beam moved is definitely a major concern, and we need to figure out why that is. I, I, my one question would be, do you think it's active or has it always been this way? Because if it's active, then it's even more serious of a problem. I think in this case, what I would do is I would hire a structural engineer to evaluate this problem and determine what has to be done to stabilize it. And the, and the engineer should specify what repair is needed. And then with that specification, you could find a contractor to make the repair. I am confident you don't have to run away from this house. It, it, these things are fixable. It's just that this is a significant issue that requires that level of attention. And you want to work through the engineer, not just a contractor who thinks. Contractors are always famous. Oh, I know how to fix that. Well, maybe, maybe not. More likely not. And this way, if you use an engineer, you have sort of a, of a pedigree, so to speak, in terms of uh, a file that you'll be building that if you go to sell this house and, and this uh, repair is evident or the SAG is evident, you can say, hey, I had an engineer check it out and it's, it is a problem or it's not a problem. And if it was a problem, I fixed it according to his specs. Then the engineer should come back and certify that the repair was done correctly. That's the way to make sure that you sort of reset the, the clock here and reset the, the value of the house by proving that it was done correctly. Make sure you get building permits and follow it through. And that's the best way to solve it this, at this point in time. But Leslie, like you said, even though it's a tough market and even though you're pressed to find the perfect house and you think you may have, it never makes sense to skip the home inspection and to rush into these things because these problems can get really expensive if they're overlooked. Oh, yeah. And I feel like now that you've already bought the house, like you're on your own with these costs. Like beforehand, you could have at least negotiated something or made the choice to not purchase. Yeah. And not only that. You're, you're basically, you basically need to disclose now that the house has a problem. So it's got to be solved. And this is the best way to do it. Everyone should know that drinking water is important to staying hydrated and healthy. 
Having safe, clean water is the last thing you want to worry about, but unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants right in its tap water. That's why we are thrilled to be working with AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. It removes 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAs in your water supply. And they have water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. They even have a Wi-Fi-connected purifier and mineral boost options. And its proprietary purification technology is independently tested by IATMO to NSF and ANSI standards to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAs known as forever chemicals, nitrate, and many more. I can truly taste the difference when I compare it with my old water filter. AquaTrue saves you money also. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That's less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you'll save the environment from tons of plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. And today, Money Pit listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to aquatrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter code MONEYPIT at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to aquatrue.com and use promo code M-O-N-E-Y-P-I-T. Money Pit. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Heading over to Mississippi, where we've got Donna on the line, dealing with a worn-out driveway. What are you looking to do? My driveway is partly crumbled, partly scored, partly rusted on. Can you put a black top surface on top of a concrete surface and have it hold up? Hey, Donna, so I can definitely see how that might make seem to make some sense, putting black top over concrete, but it really is not going to work because the way you build either a driveway made of concrete or a driveway made of blacktop is entirely different. So you can't mix the two. So you're going to have to, if you want to go blacktop, you have to take out the driveway that's there, and then you have to put in the right layers because blacktop driveways are made up over layers, and they're usually at least five or six inches thick by the time you're done. But they put in different layers. They start with a stone base, then they roll that stone base with a tool that packs it down really, really tightly. It's almost as tight as, as hard as a road when the stone base is down. Wait, you forgot the part where they wait four weeks because they want it to settle. <laughs> and then you drive Well, <laughs> yeah, but I don't, I've never had that. When I've done, when I've done driveways, we've always rolled them and then put the blacktop on all in one oh my gosh. time. And Our contractor made us wait four weeks minimum so that it settles and it gets rain, you drive on it. I have to say that anybody that makes you wait all the time is not doing a really good job on the base because if you put the base in right, you shouldn't have any of that happening. I mean, it was super firm, but th- that was their thing. Well, maybe that's that's their thing. 
But that's not what I did, and, and I don't think you necessarily have to do that as a matter of course. Uh, this, the driveway, the asphalt itself, I was starting to say, there's different grades of it. So you want to get one that's about a medium grade, because if you try to get one that's too smooth, it's not very strong. And the medium grade has, has bigger pebbles in it, and it locks together very, very nicely and lasts a long time. So you can't put it on top of the concrete. You have to take the old concrete off or out and start again from scratch. And I will say switching from concrete to the blacktop, it's gorgeous. What a big difference it made. It just made the house look sharp. I love it. Yeah, and I should also mention that the concrete is not in horrible shape. It could be resurfaced. There's a product called Recap that Quickrete makes that is designed specifically for that. You could add a layer of this Recap product on top of the old concrete and give it a fresh new surface. So that's another option for you as well. Well, if you're just starting out in your first home or apartment or you're on a maybe a really limited budget, there are ways to stretch that budget along with your creative muscles to create a place that you'd be proud to call home just by repurposing what you already have or perhaps some items that you collect from friends or family. Yeah, and I think really here the first step is just kind of experimenting with what you already have. You know, move things around, put something from one room into another room, kind of give it a test drive, see if you like it, experiment with creating these groupings, you know, little vignettes or sort of moments where you have things grouped together, three or five. I always like odd numbers. They kind of work best on side tables or chests or on some shelving units. And the key here, guys, is to not worry about matching. You know, designers, for the most part, despise those sets of furniture. You're going to end up with much more personal and homey look if you mix and match pieces. And you can even carry this idea into your bedroom if you buy some single sheets that you can find on sale, pillowcases, shams, etc., and then create this sort of custom look for your bed by mixing and matching those colors, those patterns, those textures. It really helps create a unique look that's all your own. So don't be afraid to go for it and try stuff out. Yep, with a little imagination and a willingness to maybe bend the decor rules a bit, there's no reason why your apartment or home can't be a place you'll love coming home to. And we've got more tips for budget decor options right now on MoneyPit.com. All right, we're heading out to Illinois where we've got Greg on the line who's dealing with some vinyl siding issues. What's going on? Well, I'm wanting to replace the vinyl siding on the house, and I'm seeing more of a trend where houses have their siding hung vertical instead of horizontal. Are there any pros or cons to installing the siding vertically, and what's the best material to use? Well, yeah, I am seeing that as well, and whatever siding it is has to be rated for a vertical installation and the backer for the siding as well. So typically, you're going to have some sort of a weatherproof backer on a lot of those products. But uh, I've seen it. I've not seen it with vinyl, but I have seen it with composite and I think as long as it's installed consistent with the manufacturer's instructions and they rate it as an installation method, that I wouldn't have any fears about doing it. Uh, you know, we've seen shiplap siding, for example, done vertically or horizontally for years, and it seems to hold up just fine. It's got a pretty healthy dose of uh, weatherproof building paper behind it, but it seems to it seems to work fine. I, th- I also see a lot of folks use that as an accent, like, for example, just on the front wall of a house, but not on the remaining Walls, So I think it's a viable option. I think we're seeing more and more of it. And certainly it's been around in in commercial construction more than residential. But I wouldn't have any hesitancy about using that if that was a a look that I was trying to go for. Yeah, I was more concerned about when currently I have vinyl siding that runs, of course, horizontally. And when rain hits the house, of course, it just rolls right down. I was concerned if the siding is vertical or, yeah, vertical, that uh, rain would have a chance to get in between the boards. 
Yeah, of course. Those starting pieces are designed for that. So they're going to have a way of channeling that water away or a backer board to the point where it doesn't matter. Okay. Uh, Sounds good to me. We've got Carol joining us, who's got a lot of air in the pipes and causing some heating issues. What's going on at your money pit? I have a boiler. I have air in the lines. My boiler has an automatic burper. I bled the lines, but there's more air than usual. Hey, Carol. So I've actually never heard it when you, you say your boiler has a burper. I'm not quite sure what you mean by that. But when you have air in the heating system and a hot water heating system, what you need to do is you need to let the air out at the radiators themselves. So the air is going to work its way out of the system. And you open up the bleed valve, which is at the radiators, and you let that run until the water starts coming up. When the water starts coming out, then you've released all the air. And that's really all you need to do for that system. And the reason the air gets in there is because when the boiler refills, which it'll do from time to time, that water that comes in from the tap is going to have air entrained in it. And as it's heated, it gets released. So that's where the air comes from. But by bleeding it at the radiator valves, you should be able to eliminate that water and restore heat to those chilly radiators. We've got Chris in Arkansas on the line. What is going on at your money pit? Well, uh, Leslie, I've been wondering on my crawl space vents. Uh, I've heard that they're not really useful, and it's best to go ahead and just close them up. I was wondering if that's a good or idea or a bad idea. Yeah, I think that's a really bad idea, and here's why. The crawl space vents are there for a reason. They're, in fact, they're mandated by building code. Now, they have, a, they have a sliding cover on them so you can have the, the louvers open or close. What I generally suggest is that you want to have the crawl space vents fully open in the spring, the summer, and the fall. In the winter, when the temperature really starts to drop, then you should close them. But in the spring, the summer, and the fall, leave them open. It helps the moisture that's going to be present in the crawl space evaporate to the exterior uh, by mixing with drier air from the outside. The other thing that you could do is, I don't know what kind of crawl space surface you have there, but if it's, if it's dirt, you ought to be covering it with plastic. So big sheets of, of polyvisqueen plastic, for example. That prevents the moisture from evaporating up off the soil. And the reason we're trying to control moisture is because if you let the moisture condense on the wood framing in the crawl space, you're going to get mold or rot. Uh, and you can also make the insulation damp, which, which renders it somewhat ineffective even if it's just a little bit of dampness. So for all those reasons, I recommend you keep them open uh, in the three warmer seasons. Does that help you out? It did most certainly, and I sure appreciate it. I love the show. All right. Thanks so much. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Well, many of us have dreamed of a space in our homes dedicated to our favorite hobby. You know, maybe for you it's a workshop, a sewing room, a writer's nook, or an art studio. Well, there's no better time than now to live your dream. So let's start off with the basic questions about your hobby. How much space and storage are you needing? Do you need a lot of outlets? Does it maybe involve something that needs special ventilation? If you're using an existing space, think about how you'd use closet space with the doors removed. Does that work? You know, are you looking for space in your basement or maybe even the garage? 
And just because you call the room in your home a dining room doesn't mean you have to use it that way. That's right. So when planning your room, you want to think about the three most important areas. For example, if you're creating maybe a sewing room, the key areas might be like a cutting table, a sewing area, and maybe an ironing board. But for woodworkers like me, it might be a table saw, a radial arm saw, and a workbench. You know, in kitchen design, we call this the working triangle. It's the space between the range and the refrigerator and the sink, because those are the three things that you're sort of moving between all the time. So the idea applies here to your hobby room. Maintain a short distance between the key workstations, and that makes the space a lot easier for you to navigate and a lot less stressful and tiring as you go about your projects. Well, it's time to talk remodeling with Mary. We're heading up to Utica, New York to do that. Mary, well, tell us what you're working on. I have a uh, seasonal home in it was from the 1960s, the early, all paneling and everything. My son right. took all of that down, right down to the studs and the ceiling and everything, and he would like to do away and part of it with the ceiling joist and go up to the rafters so that to make it look more like it has a um, open space all there. And right. I'm worried about the structural integrity of the place. Yeah, you definitely should be worried about that because you can't just take away the ceiling joists. They're keeping the walls from spreading outward. You need an architect to look at that and to tell you exactly how to accomplish this because you're going to have to make some structural uh, adjustments to make that happen. You can't just take away all those ceiling joists because the, the outside walls will bow. Even if you put a collar up there? Well, I mean, you you are going to put some sort of a collar tie across, but where you put that, how you attach it, what the width of that is, what the size of that is, those are all structural questions that have that have calculable answers if you have an engineer or an architect spec it out for you. But other, to just guess at it is 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 really risky. Oh, okay. It's also going to be harder to insulate, by the way that area because your ceiling joists are probably not that deep, so it's very hard to insulate a, uh, a cathedral ceiling unless you use spray foam insulation, and if you do that... I'm going to use spray foam on it. Yeah, if you use spray foam, and you're going to have to have a contractor do that, obviously. If you use spray foam, then you don't have to worry about the ventilation part of it, uh, and it'll be a much more efficient uh, uh, way to go. Yeah, I just thought maybe there was a rule of thumb of how far down you should put the collars, but apparently not. Yeah, that's going to depend on a lot of factors. So that's why you're going to have an expert look at it, okay? Yep, thank you. Good luck with that project. All right, bye-bye. Leslie, we've got some folks from Pennsylvania that look like they've had enough of the cold weather. Yeah, that's right. Here we go. Monty in PA says, Can you tell me the lowest temperature I can set my thermostat to keep my pipes from freezing while I'm away on vacation? Meaning, I've got to get the heck out of Dodge. I'm freezing my butt off and I'm going to the Caribbean. (laughs) Listen, I would not trust just a thermostat setting to keep your pipes from freezing because, you know, listen, temperatures vary. I know uh, in my house, before I made some plumbing changes, uh, we would have to get down to six or seven degrees um, above zero before we got some pipe freezing. And I wouldn't trust that I was going to be able to predict that while I'm away. So I would recommend a couple of things here, Monty. First of all, I wouldn't turn your set your thermostat any lower than about 65 I really wouldn't because aside from you know, the issue of keeping the pipes warm, if you let too much moisture build up in that house, you can get mold. Secondly, I would turn the main water valve off 
Because if the main water valve is off, you can't have a leak and leak damage that ensues from it, or at least not very much. I mean, your water heater could leak, but after the 40 or 50 gallons leaks out, then that's it. you got nothing else that's, that's happening there. So I would turn the main water valve off, and I would also shut off all the non-essential circuits. So if your water heater is electric, turn off the electricity to the water heater. No sense paying for water to be heated while you're away, and so on. Go through the house, any circuits that you don't need, you know, so it's not the heat. You want to keep that on. The refrigerator, keep that on and so on. Lights, keep that on. But, you know, if you have other circuits, which we all do, those can be kept off. So you're minimizing the chance that anything is going to go crazy on you when you're away. So don't just trust the temperature setting the thermostat. I would definitely turn the water off and make sure that there's no water that can leak out. Even if the pipes do freeze and break, you know, you're not going to get a leak. And if you do, you'll figure it out when you get home real quick. All right. Now we've got a post from Kim who says, This weekend I tried to remove a dead light bulb from my ceiling fan and it was so brittle it shattered in my hand. Now the base of the light bulb is basically stuck in the socket and I don't know how to get it out. I thought about using pliers, but what part of the bulb should I grab onto? I've had this happen before. I have too. Yep, I have too. So first of all, the key here is turn your power off. And I'm not just talking about the switch. I don't want to take any chances. I want you to turn all the power off in the house. Turn off the main. Just have it be off when you do this. But there's two ways to go about this. Uh, Typically, what I'll do is I'll grab the edge of the the remaining piece of the bowl, the socket, with a pair of like needle-nose pliers and just carefully work it in a circle so I unscrew it, essentially. But there's also a little trick of the trade. If you have a piece of foil, you can sort of ball that up and stick it into that socket, right, where all the glass was, and that actually becomes like an extension of where the bulb was, and you're sort of unscrewing it. So you can do that, or you could do it with a set of pliers. But always, always, always turn all the power off first. All right. I've also heard people say you could use a potato, but that seems a little challenging. I don't get that. I've heard that. It's, that seems like... I mean, like I feel like they think that... doesn't that, make any sense. You know, the the bits of glass and the edge of the bulb itself will stick into the potato and then you turn it. But, like, I feel like you got to push really hard and you're probably pushing that bulb further in. I think it's a waste of a good potato, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not like you're going to eat it after. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You'd have a little unexpected roughage if you did. You are listening to the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. Hey, guys, thanks so much for spending a little bit of your day this new year with us. If you've got projects on your to-do list, we would love to help you get them done. All you got to do is reach out to us any time of the day or night at 1-888-MONEY-PIT or just go to moneypit.com slash ask. Until we meet again, I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. 